Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shaped Ideas Podcast. I am your host, Sam. This is episode 25 and we've got a bunch to talk about today. I hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Um, I spent it with some family members just lounging by the pool, drinking some beers. It was really nice. Um, I hope everyone kind of got to do something enjoyable over this weekend. Uh, If you're in Minnesota, I hope you were able to escape the heat. It was really, really hot over the weekend. It was awful. All right, so let's uh, jump into the weekend recap. I've got two things that I want to talk about that happened over the weekend. Uh, One being that Gislin Maxwell um, was arrested, which is big, big news. She was uh, basically the right-hand man, right-hand woman of... Jeffrey Epstein during his entire like pedophilia ring that he was running um, and then there was a new hydroxychloroquine study that came out uh, CNN reported it it was and it's basically saying that just because it was it's kind of funny um, it's basically saying there's some merit to the idea that the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine could provide some benefits to COVID-19 uh, SARS-2 patients. So let's start with uh, Gislin Maxwell. So for, for anyone who doesn't really know um, the whole situation, so Jeffrey Epstein was this big hedge fund investor guy. Supposedly that's how he got his money. Um, there's no one really knows where he got all of his money. Um, I speculate and a lot of people speculate that he kind of ran this pedophilia ring for higher up elites and that is essentially how he got his money and was able to establish himself with the like higher echelon socialites and and, and big bankers and and all these very very wealthy people Um, and Gislin Maxwell was I believe his girlfriend for a time and then she kind of took on the role of being like the groomer she would groom the women and she would find other people to groom the women for her and so she was a big part of the whole operation she knew a lot and she was arrested uh last week uh late last week and from the, from the development that's happening right now, apparently she is ready to start naming names. And I could not be more happier about it. I've already started joking with my coworkers that she's going to suicide herself on Friday, <laughs> just like Jeffrey Epstein did, because I don't see how she could stay alive. For anyone who hasn't really looked into what happened with Epstein when he died when he supposedly killed himself I put that in in big air quotes because it's so weird he was put in solitary confinement he got he was given like paper sheets and like no paper no pencils no like sharp objects all these precautions to keep him from killing himself so what happens like the security guards decide not and oh he was put on suicide watch because he attempted suicide before so what happens the, the guards decide not to check on him for like a, a, a large number of hours. All the security cameras in his wing decide to stop working. 
and somehow he hangs himself from his paper sheets. And then when the and then when they did a report on his body, they found like they found a bruising around his neck that is not consistent with hanging. It was the whole thing was really 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 strange and it was like hearing hearing the news say that he committed suicide is really like infuriating to me because it just feels like they're gaslighting us because it's it's so obvious that he didn't kill himself like he's put he was put in a maximum security prison on suicide watch in solitary confinement he was supposed to be checked on like every hour every couple hours and there's cameras going all throughout that wing. Like, you mean to tell me all the guards decided to stop checking on him for, like, a, a large number of hours. The cameras stop working. He somehow is able to take his paper sheets, his very thin sheets, and situate them into a noose and hang himself. Like, I... You're playing with us. You're you're making fun of us at that point. In my mind. You're just making fun of us. If you expect us to believe all that nonsense. Especially with all the stuff that he had on everyone. Like they raided his Manhattan apartment. And they found his little black book. of in uh, his flight logs of everyone who was on, on his uh, Lolita Express. As it was called. To his private island. And it's crazy the people who was on there. Like Stephen King was on there. Malcolm Gladwell was on there. Uh, those are two really, really big authors. I'm, I really respect Stephen King. I'm not a fan of his politics, but like I, I really respect him with all the books that he's made. I've, I've lost a large amount of respect for him by being in that book, um, in this little black book. Malcolm Gladwell was on there. Um, I've read a couple of his books, too. He's, he's really good, which is a bummer as well. Um, a lot of big media moguls, like the CEO or like the head executive or like the, the main editor of like the Washington Post, the New York Times, um, like the National Enquirer, like a lot of, I think it was the National Enquirer, I can't remember, don't quote me on that, but it was a lot of like large newspaper, like editor-in-chiefs and like the CEO of the companies and stuff, and a lot of just very high people, like Bill Clinton was on there, um, who else? I'm going off memory, I'm not going off of a list in front of me, but like there was a lot of very, very important people in there. Like, oh yeah, Prince Andrew was in there, like just very, very high up people. And so I, I, I don't believe for a, like a millisecond that he killed himself. It just didn't happen. So. Hopefully, um, this week, hopefully they can start prying the names out of her, like, ASAP. Because this has been just, this whole situation with Jeffrey Epstein has been botched from the beginning. And they need to, like, start fixing this fast. Because there were so many, like, children. And I, like, they're children. They were, like, 12 to 15 years old. Like, these girls. And... There is a bunch of them throughout the years that he was doing this. And he was doing this for a long time. For a very long time. At least 20 years. And so I hope that she 
like I hope that the FBI or the CIA or whoever is uh, overseeing this investigation and, and arrested her. She was in France and then she was holding out in a private mansion in the U.S., I believe, and that's how they got her. And, uh, yeah, I hope I hope that they're able to start prying names out of her, start getting a lot of evidence. I hope they film everything uh, or, like, get it on tape or something. They, they got to get, like, very hard evidence that they can start so they, they can start, like, prosecuting people or, like, at least figuring out what the hell is going on. Um, that's a pipe dream, obviously. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people in the CIA or in the FBI are... Are in cahoots with them <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised so we'll see but that's that's a uh, one thing that came up over the weekend that was really 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 big news so I there's no way I couldn't talk about it the other one was this hydroxychloroquine study and uh, so I read the CNN article and I um, it was making the rounds on Twitter because a lot of the, the right-wing media was like kind of pushing this because of course President Donald Trump um, spoke in his news conferences a little uh, while back about how he was like taking hydroxychloroquine and that it's um this this could have benefits to preventing the disease and whatever um and from the study it didn't look like it was good at preventing it like taking it as um like an antidote or a vaccine or anything like that but they said depending on what stage you're at with the disease if you already have it you could it could be a benefit so from it, it almost feels as if it's similar to how like chemotherapy is with cancer like with obviously with cancer if you catch it early and you start doing chemo you can you can start killing the cells and killing like the tumors and, and whatever i don't know a lot about cancer so bear with me here <laughs> um so like if you catch if you catch cancer early and you start doing chemotherapy it'll like you, you get a chance to stop it in its tracks and then push it back. And I think it's kind of similar with this. It was if you are in the early stages, if you're not showing a lot of symptoms, taking it will help alleviate it and essentially like almost cure you basically. Like you're still fighting it. It's not a catch-all, but like it was showing promise that if you can catch it early, this could be a benefit for people. The later on that you take it after getting it, so if you start showing symptoms and you start getting sick, it doesn't, it's not as effective from what I was kind of reading. And this got shared all over the place because everyone's like, oh, everyone like CNN's lying. And obviously CNN doesn't like Trump, so they're gonna kind of push this. And they got a lot of people to kind of in the in their own article about this new study they got a bunch of um they got a bunch of doctors or like medical professionals saying that this study is kind of bullcrap and that there's inconsistencies and blah 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 you know because you won't find inconsistencies and bias in every scientific study like that's just life go go research any vaping related study about how it affects the lungs how it affects breathing, how it affects overall health, how it affects safety. Read any vape study and tell me that's not bias. Like, so coming from the from a background that I have where I used to work for a vaping manufacturer and I was constantly 
reading these studies. I was looking them over. I was studying them so I could discuss them on our on our forums and, and kind of dissect them for readers and our audience and stuff. It's it kind of like trickled over to the studies that I started reading, like with other stuff, and then I started to understand how much of a piece of garbage the FDA is and the CDC is for kind of like them flip-flopping not giving us good information like basically lying to us and you'll you'll find out real quick that most of these studies you got to take them with a grain of salt and you got to find out where the angle is like are they is the person who made this very anti whatever they're studying or are they very pro whatever they're studying because that is going to mix into their research data that's just how it's going to go that's how humans are at this point unfortunately we've gotten so divided that that's just where we're at at this point so it was shared all over the place like giving as as an unbiased opinion as i can i think it's got some good I, it's got some good points to it and obviously it's biased um, the good points is that it looks like it could show this drug could show promise to people who are in the if you in the very early stages of the disease so this could it's showing that this could potentially help people who just got it maybe are slowly starting to develop a fever or cough or whatever maybe some trouble breathing but they're they're generally okay and they test positive this would be a good thing for them to take to like catch it early and kill it um, but with with that said that's like what does that really show that's showing basically that hydroxychloroquine doesn't really do anything like if you catch it early it's it's good it's it, it shows promise it, like it, it shows like a higher percentage of people getting cured within the first couple of weeks um, a lower percentage of people dying when they when they take it and, and, and stuff like that but there's like a small window of opportunity for it to work so obviously we don't want to put too much time into developing this and, and pushing this to the general public because one it doesn't help people who are asymptomatic that's not gonna it, at least it doesn't they didn't really talk about it they, they talked about people showing symptoms and people who got ahead of the disease so they may have had asymptomatic people in there but people who don't have the disease this does nothing for them uh, people who are a little too far gone, this isn't going to help them. So you're already sectioning off like a vast majority of the population that would want to take this. Because they'll they'll read it and they'll think, oh, well, it'll still help if I take it now. No, that's not the case. You've got this very small percentage of the population. Like, the, the people who are getting infected are already a smaller portion of the United States, like a smaller degree or a smaller percentage of people because obviously this hasn't infected everybody it's it seems like that's what's gonna happen where if it's gonna take up to next july to find a vaccine where we're just gonna end up developing herd immunity because there's no way that we can keep things we, there's no way we can keep things held down until they find a vaccine there we just can't like we'll we'll sink into a great 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 depression and things will just go to hell in a handbasket and people will be dying because they can't afford to put food on their table but i'm gonna take a quick water break i'm 
been taking a break from coffee off and on. I found that like my, I don't know, I'm changing my diet constantly. We're gonna take a quick segue just for a second <laughs> away from this study. But I've been like changing my diet up a lot. I'm trying to like decrease the amount of sugars that I take in on a given day. Um, I'm also trying to eat less and more purposeful. And I've really felt a large difference in my in my energy levels. It's crazy. And I've been working out um, almost the same amount as I used to. Uh, I'm kind of getting there. I've, I, felt, I think I talked about this before, but I, I was starting to fall out of love with, with running. So I really had a tough time running during this lockdown. And now that it's finally open, and usually what I would do is I would run for three miles and then I would, uh, I would lift. So I'd be in the gym for probably about an hour and a half, close to two hours almost, uh, or hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. And I think I'm gonna start like, with no pun intended, like walking away from running a little bit. Cause I usually ran 15 miles during the week and then I'd run like 10 to 20 miles on the weekend. And I just don't wanna do that right now. It's weird, I, it seems like I do this every summer. Like it gets really warm out I've been like hoping and praying for it to get warm so I could run outside and then I just don't have like the energy and the motivation to really run outside. So, but so far so good. I've been doing pretty good. But back to what I was saying, like I've been kind of walking away from like drinking a lot of coffee lately because I've noticed that if I'm awake and I feel awake and I can do things and I'm not tired or like groggy or anything, if I drink coffee, I start to feel groggy. and. I'm guessing that's like a common thing for a lot of people. So, um, for, um, for, oh my goodness, <laughs> losing my train of thought a little bit just to just totally segue out of what I was talking about into something that doesn't matter. That's why I'm drinking water right now. <laughs> that and it's really early and I think I might end up taking a nap before I have to go to work. <laughs> so back to this study. So yeah, this, uh, the, the whole thing, like looking, trying to look at it from an unbiased perspective, I think it's got, I think it's got merits. I think it's, it's something that could be improved upon and something that we could put out to like the medical professionals around the country and basically say, Hey, this has shown promise for people who are just coming in with the disease. So if you've got, if you've got a patient that's coming in they're not showing a lot of signs they're maybe have like they, maybe they've developed a little bit of a cough whatever and they test positive this is a good way to attack it right now but anyone else no so that's kind of where it is that's kind of where it's at uh, let's jump into this next one this is something that's kind of like near and dear to me I've been following this very heavily um, and this really has been breaking my heart what's what's going on is uh hong kong so I, I don't know if anyone's really been following it but so hong kong is like in in the midst of almost a war basically they've been protesting for over a year now over a year it started uh june of last year is when the protest basically started happening almost every single day and uh, when it started, they were pro. So, I'll just give you a little bit of backstory before I jump into this whole thing. Um, so, Hong Kong last year, there was a there was a bill. I'm trying to remember what the bill was called, but it was like a repatriation thing. 
So basically what it was, or an extradition. So that's what, so it was an extradition bill. So it was, um, actually let's take one more step back. Um, because Hong Kong is something that I know a lot about. I studied abroad in Hong Kong. I know a lot about the Hong Kong legal system. Um, it's just one of my interests. So how, how it works over in Hong Kong is it's governed under this two, I believe it's called two, two countries, one system. And in 1997, before 1997, it was a British colony and the, in 1997, the British handed handed Hong Kong over to Beijing with the stipulation that they would have, like, freedom. They would be a separate sovereign nation from China. They would not be part of China. And China's basically been trying to destroy that ever since. And that was set to be for 50 years. So it was supposed to be its own thing. Hong Kong was supposed to be its own separate sovereign nation until 2047. So we've got a little while. <laughs> we've got a few years left. And they were governed under this like two country, one system rule, basically. So they were they had their own legal system. They had their own legislative system uh, to make their own laws and everything. But they were also governed by Beijing in a way. And yeah, uh, last June, they decided, either last June or last May, I can't remember what it was when it was introduced, but it doesn't matter. Regardless, uh, last year around this time, they introduced, Beijing did, introduced a extradition bill that would basically allow Beijing the authority to uh, take people that's in Hong Kong and bring them to Beijing and bring them into China for trial based on their, like, what they deem is um, a violation of the law. So, and basically what it was targeting, and, I, and Beijing didn't explicitly say this, but it's it's what they were going for. So they're not going to come out and just say it because it would have been egregious. But it was basically a way for them to attack uh, journalists, attack protesters, attack criticizers of the Chinese nation, of the Chinese, um, of their Communist Party. Of their of their political agenda they would so the whole idea behind the extradition bill was Beijing would have the power to basically intimidate people into not talking shit about China and not writing bad stories and bad articles about China is basically just like a dumbed-down version of, of what it was they wanted to be able to Come in and have the authority to say, "Oh, this journalist uh, wrote a hit piece about Beijing and how they're ter- or how Beijing is terrible and our politics are terrible. We're going to extradite you, and we're going to like we're going to say you're lying, and we're gonna we're gonna bring you up for trial for like libel or defamation or whatever they want to bring them up for in Beijing, which is going to get rigged because like the government." basically runs everything the government runs all the media so they're going to go into hong kong and these media play people and pull them to beijing courts and try them and convict them so and that that's what sparked off all the protests and it's been going on ever since eventually it got redacted they um they never went through with the bill thank god they um it got killed pretty quickly 
protests got pretty violent. Um, not as violent as what we've seen in the States at all. I don't think anyone's even died from these protests. And I don't think a lot of died in the States either, but like Hong Kong, they don't burn down. They didn't burn down their city. They just, they protest a lot. They beat up some storefronts, but they never burned anything. They never really looted anything like that. So it's um, not to lump looters in with protesters, but that looting is a byproduct of protesting. So anyway, um, but yeah, so that's been going on and it's been like waxing and waning. And now this new bill has come into effect and it's called the National Security Bill. And it was imposed by, by Beijing and what's like kind of gross is this on the 1st of July is like in the base is is Hong Kong's Independence Day essentially that's when they were handed over and considered free and no longer under British rule and they were like their own sovereign nation so that's their that is their Independence Day essentially Beijing pulled double overtime June 30th to get this bill finished, signed, and put into law so that on their Independence Day, this law would go into effect, which is kind of just evil. It's just evil. It's really gross. And... Basically, what this what the national security law is is it basically allows China in Beijing, and I say Beijing because that's where a lot of the government activities comes out of. So I just say Beijing is just a, a shorthand term, but the government of China with this bill it basically allows them to do whatever they want. Honestly, it allows them to it basically allows them to govern. Hong Kong like they would govern anyone in China. So it basically strips all the rights away. It, it put restrictions on internet. It'll put restrictions on um, what you can talk about on, on social media. It'll most likely do what China does. It'll, and it's called the Great Firewall um, in China, where once you step into China, you can't log into certain stuff. Like you can't log into Facebook. Uh, you can't log into Twitter can't like there's there's so many social media apps and like you can't there's certain stuff you just can't get in uh in china not to mention they're always listening to you and they're always tracking your data and like if you thought if you thought the u.s was bad with what they do and how they track you at least they don't like at least when you criticize america you're not gonna be like arrested you will get arrested if you criticize the Chinese government if you're in China. I mean, geez, uh, a U.S. foreign exchange student was arrested, and I think he was put in jail for posting photos of Xi Jinping, the president of China, looking like Winnie the Pooh. Like, that's a thing that happened. They even banned Winnie the Pooh in China because there were so many memes and so many jokes going around how Xi Jinping looked like Pooh Bear. Like, that's how, like, strict they run it in China. So that's basically what was going on in, 
that's basically what they wanted to impose in Hong Kong is this this law that they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to speak freely. Um, they're in a way they don't have a First Amendment right in Hong Kong on the books technically, but they have a variation of it that would be stripped away. So they wouldn't have a First Amendment right. So they're not allowed to protest. They're not allowed to speak freely. Uh, journalists would have to watch out for what they say. Um, it's just a big, big intimidation. It's just one big intimidation bill to basically say, if you don't step in line, we're going to crack you. And they've already started. Um, I was reading last week a Wall Street Journal article about it. And they had a, a big, 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 big protest, large protest um, on July 2nd. So I'm guessing this happened on the day of their independence. This is an article out of the Wall Street Journal. Hundreds arrested in protests over Hong Kong security law. Thousands of protesters unbowed by a sweeping new national security law imposed by China staged the largest show of defiance in Hong Kong this year, with some risking heavy prison terms to chant slogans of liberation and demand independence. Oh, another thing that happened. Someone was driving around on either like a pedal bike or a motorbike with a flag flying behind them with a popular uh, independence pro-democracy slogan and he was arrested. So just to kind of give you a scope of how this works. Hundreds of Hong Kong police officers moved in swiftly to quash dissent and implement the law, which gives Beijing much greater powers to police the city and punish those accused of subversion and supporting separatism. That was the other thing about this law. So you can they can arrest any it's basically anyone who's pro-democracy and anti-Hong Kong being part of China. If you don't want Hong Kong to be part of China, you can be arrested for subversion and being an anti-separatist. Like just Having those views, just having those views can get you arrested under this law. And for someone like me who's been following a lot of what's going on, the extradition bill, the police were basically there to just not let the protests get too out of hand and block off, like, the because Hong Kong's a financial hub of the world. They're huge economic financial hub of the world. And the, the police were there basically just to kind of keep, keep the wheels moving on the truck. Now they have, they've been given the authority to just start cracking skulls. And from the front cover page of the Wall Street Journal, because I'm looking at the, um, I'm looking at like the paper version of the front page, is a photo of a guy getting choked with another guy being knelt on him like so a police officer is choking him and then another police officer is kneeling on what looks like his hip because he's on his side and then the cop kneeling on him also has a pistol out it's really hard to like it was really hard reading about this like I got a I got a little emotional like, Hong Kong is my second home. And, like, I, I saw the protests. I saw people getting fire hose when I was over there. 
like I saw like the the angst for freedom that these people have they don't want to be governed by China they just want to be left alone and it's so just heartbreaking honestly uh, jumping back into the article police fired tear gas pepper spray and water cannons to disperse protesters and raised a banner to warn them that they could be violating the new law at the end of wednesday the anniversary of hong kong's 1997 handover from british colonial rule the protests had dissipated and police had arrested about 370 people including 10 under the new law which one senior Chinese official described as a birthday present to the city. And that is really effed up. It's really, really gross. It's like, oh, hey, here's a present to Hong Kong. I'm taking your freedoms away. <laughs> it'd, be like a, it'd be like a dad going to his kid on his birthday. Be like, hey, for your birthday, I'm going to eat your birthday cake. No, you don't get any. I'm going to eat it. I'm also going to take all your presents. It's just, it's such a, oh, it's so effed up. It's so effed up. Beijing faces difficulty in suppressing dissent in a city that has become a global financial hub built on the rule of law and Western-style freedoms. The new security law, which carries penalties of up to life imprisonment, risks further inflaming anti-government sentiment in the city and the triggering responses from Western nations and or that criticized it as the greatest erosion of the city's promised autonomy since the handover. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Wednesday called the law a clear and serious breach of an agreement with China to keep Hong Kong largely autonomous until 2047. He said the UK would retaliate with new rules making it easier for around 3 million eligible people from its former colony to emigrate to the UK. And it keeps going on, but um, I might I might skip around a little bit with it. But so it's just it's really it's really hard to like it's really hard to read everything that's been happening um, with this. Because it's it's just so it's just so egregious. It's so wrong. Like they just don't realize what they're doing. Um, in the uh, let's jump back into this article. There's a couple more things in here that I wanted to point out, uh, and then we might move on. This might be a shorter episode too. Depends on how much I want to talk about this. I had. I had a full head of steam coming in and now I'm starting to get a little, uh, starting to get a little dissipated, but, um, they, they talk with, uh, a lady, um, a 78 year old woman. And she says, what we see today in this national, in this national security law, which is much worse than what Mao Zedong did to us. She said, we are not scared anymore at this age. We want to oppose the national security law. And what she's saying about what Mao Zedong did, uh, Mao Zedong was responsible for what was called the Cultural Revolution. And it was this like great leap 
in like manufacturing um like an and economic it was like a big economic boom and it was kind of like forced by Mao Zedong and what ended up happening is like millions of people died like to to push forward economically in the way that they did they killed a lot of their citizens a lot so that's what she's referring to when she says that in the US the house Wednesday night passed by unanimous consent a part a bipartisan bill that would impose sanctions on Chinese officials who threatened Hong Kong's limited autonomy as well as the banks and firms that do businesses with them the Senate unanimously approved a similar bill sponsored by Senator Pat Toomey Republican from Pennsylvania and Chris Van Holland, a Democrat of Maryland, last week. In addition to mandatory sanctions, the bill includes a provision that gives Congress the ability to override a president's decision to waive or terminate sanctions through a joint resolution of disapproval. And I kind of like that they have that clause in there. I don't imagine that Trump would. Like, he's been going crazy with these tariffs on China, so I don't imagine he would reel this one back. But I like that they do have a clause in there that basically states that these, like these sanctions can't be lifted by your veto, like your executive decision. It's got to go through like the two-thirds majority stuff. So, so I really like that checks and balances um, that they kind of implemented into, into that sanction. Uh, I like it a lot. I just like having checks and balances in general. <laughs> I like making sure that not one person or one group of people have too much power. Um, let's see. Today, here we go. Okay, sorry. I, I lost my train of thought. Such a resolution would have would have to pass both the House and Senate by a veto-proof two-thirds majority. Um, today's actions is an urgently needed response to the cowardly Chinese government's passage of its so-called national security law, which threatens to end uh, to threatens the end of the one country, two systems law. Oh, so I had it backwards when I was talking about it. I, I thought it was two countries, one system. It's the opposite. It's one country. They act as if they're the one country, but they have two different government systems. So I had it backwards. Um, um, oh yeah, promoted exactly 23 years ago today. And that was last Wednesday, uh, said Speaker Nancy Pelosi in a statement. All freedom-loving people must condemn this horrific law, which is purpose-built to dismantle democratic freedoms in Hong Kong. And I don't normally uh, agree with Nancy Pelosi, but I will agree with her 100%. Let's jump in and get this pushed in, <laughs> Nancy. Uh, we got this. I love it. On Wednesday, several prominent members of Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement testified before the U.S. House of Foreign Affairs Committee about the implications of the new law. The appearance could prove a test, a test of the law's prohibition on collusion with a foreign country 
to interfere in the city's affairs. We will continue our past activities for justice and democracy and will not be deterred by the new law, the new authoritarian law. Lee Chuck Yan, a former legislator and prominent opposition leader, told the committee via a video link from Hong Kong, according to prepared remarks he released. Chinese and Hong Kong officials said that the law was necessary to restore order and that with Beijing's authority to impose it. Um, I think we'll stop right there, actually. Uh, there's a, a couple, like a number of more paragraphs after this, but I think we'll stop it there. Um, so again, this was in the the Ju uh, July 2nd paper. It was written by Wenjin Fan, I believe is uh, how you would pronounce it. And really good article. I recommend if you've got a Wall Street Journal subscription, I definitely recommend reading it. Uh, it's a good, it's a good article that kind of breaks down not only what's going on, but um, just some provisions of the law and, and what's okay and what's not okay and, and and things like that. And basically, I mean, there's nothing that is okay. Everything's not okay. But so just kind of wrapping this up into a, a very sad bow, Beijing wants to basically destroy Hong Kong and they want Hong Kong to be part of China. I don't I don't know why this is the thing that's kind of like made it difficult for me to understand the whole situation. It's like I really don't understand why. Like why do you why do you want Hong Kong so bad? What are they doing to you that you need to do this? And my simple answer that I just keep telling myself is that they just want more power. They just want more land. And they just want to conquer shit. And unfortunately, that's like, that's the answer that I have to give myself. Because this, this whole situation is, is really messed up. The Chinese government wants to they want to take over Hong Kong and they want to turn it into a police state the same way that China is. And it's just really, it's just really heartbreaking to watch because you look at it from the eyes of an American who has these, these freedoms and these, in a way, these privileges, because I was privileged to be able to be, thankfully be born in the United States and this is where I reside it's really sad to see it because I've got friends over there that live in Hong Kong. I don't keep up with them anymore, <laughs> but like I've got people that I know in Hong Kong that are probably part of these protests. They're probably marching in the streets right now. So it's just, it's really hard to watch. And just like what Nancy Pelosi said, any freedom-loving person would find this atrocious. And I, I know there's nothing we can do, but I don't know. Maybe make it more known. I don't know. There's nothing really we can do other than just watch it unfold. Um, I think that's probably what bums me out the most about it. I think that's why I got a little emotional when I was reading about uh, what's happening over there is 
I can't do anything. At least like with what's going on stateside, like with the George Floyd killing and all the racial injustice, at least I can like go out and I can volunteer. I can go, I could go help up with um, picking up what was left of the wreckage. Like I can, I can help with that kind of stuff. I can, I can volunteer my time and like mentor youth or like I, I, I can work with low income families or food shelves or like I can, I can do these things that I feel like I'm making an impact. But with this, it just, it just isn't there. It's just not an opportunity, unfortunately. I like, there's nothing we can do being stateside. There's nothing we can do for Hong Kong. So, sorry to end on a downer. <laughs> um, we're gonna move on to a a little more of a lighthearted article. This is this article is a couple of things. One, it's showing one it's like um me moving a little bit away from newsy stuff um i know me talking basically entirely about what's going on in the news doesn't really help my case on that but i i kind of viewed the weekend recap i kind of is its own little thing and i really like it actually i'm starting i think i'm gonna start doing it a little bit more um i'm really excited now that sports are starting to come out i can start talking um, about sports in the weekend recap so I, I'm, I really like that segment. So I'm going to start adapting or I'm not adapting, evolving that a little bit more to more like sports related, more stuff that like I, I um, learn about over the weekend or I'm going to try and keep it pertinent because the whole point of the weekend recap in my head is that we recap what happened over the weekend, maybe a little bit of what I did over the weekend and, and stuff like that. But um, the other thing that this is kind of doing is like, this is showing you my versatility and kind of how I stand and how I feel about things. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a company man for any political party by any means. I, I don't like the Republican Party and I really don't like the Democratic Party. They suck. And at the end of the day, how I see it, they're both the same. They both want to do the same thing. They both want to just destroy this country by jacking up our, our debt and they both want to do something different, but the way they want to get to do it is basically the same. We've seen this time and time again. They, they just strong arm, when they get into power, they just strong arm the not in power party into getting what they want. And then when the other party gets in, they do the same thing and it's so cyclical. But anyways, um, back to what I was saying about showing my versatility. I, the article that I'm gonna talk about is from Slate. And I don't like Slate, but this was pushed into my into my inbox, and it was actually it um it actually looked like a good article, so I read it, and it's actually pretty good. It's uh it's gonna be a weird article. It's called "Aw, Aw, Mommy Will Make It Better." Are parents turning their kids into whiny weaklings by overconsoling them? And this was written by Melinda Wenner Moyer, and I believe this came out a number of years ago. But I, uh, I thought this was a really good article and it kind of gave me um, a little more of a perspective about raising a child. Considering that I want to have kids of my own. I don't know when, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, a few weeks ago, my five-year-old stubbed his toe for the billionth time, then began to cry unconsolably. While he bawled for a full half hour, not exaggerating, 
I alternated between reassuring him, second guessing whether I was over reassuring him and wondering whether he actually broke his toe. He of course was fine, but the experience made me wonder about the best way to respond to a child's incessant wails over a minor boo-boo. More generally, if we have a kid with low distress tolerance, as psychologists put it, a kid who cries at the tiniest mishap or demands help at the slightest frustration, what's better, to soothe their sobs or to tell them to buck up and deal with it? Will we deny our kids the capacity for grit if we acknowledge their reactions or overreactions, or will we scar them for life if we don't? And this was something that I always kind of just was like, oh, well, we need to toughen them up. We need to, we need to get them tougher. So like tell them, oh, it's, it's okay. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, let's calm down. Like it's not broken. It doesn't hurt that much, but that's how I'm looking. Like that's how, like if I stubbed my toe, that's how I would look at the situation. That's not how they're looking at the situation. So it's kind of like, for me, I've never really looked at it from the kid's perspective. In recent months, I've seen a few internet tirades promoting the buck up approach in a scary mommy blog post titled, that's just, that's a weird sentence for me to say out loud. In a scary mommy blog post. (laughs) So anyway. That blog post was titled, The Let Them Bleed Style of Parenting. One mother argued that by keeping our kids safe and happy, we are creating a generation of children who can't think for themselves. Another mom explained in a post that went viral on Patch, I don't know that site, but um, that if if you help kids out on the playground, they will learn how to manipulate others into doing the hard work for them. I'm all for promoting resilience and persistence or perseverance and independence in my kids. And I agree helicopter parenting has to go, but I can't help think about that. But I can't help thinking about balance. Uh, Isn't there an ideal middle ground here? And I think there is. Um, I like, um, I I like the one. I like the name, the, the let them bleed style of parenting. I I just find that funny. It sounds pretty hardcore. Um, But it's, um, no, geez, I'm saying I'm a lot. I'm trying really hard not to say it as much. This, uh, <laughs> the style of parenting, I like it. There is definitely a middle ground to be had, I think. And let's see if she goes over. I've already forgot. I read this article last week. <laughs> and then I'm just jumping back into it. To get some answers, I interviewed a handful of psychologists who study how children learn to regulate emotions. They all agreed that as as much as it's a bad idea to constantly hover over your kids, it may also be dangerous to act too aloof. Parenting is not something that should be polarized. The idea that a parent is either loving and caring or hands off and letting kids fend for themselves doesn't make sense, explains Tova Klein director of the Barnard Center for Toddler Development and author of How Toddlers Thrive. Instead, parents should try to be both. They should strive to make their kids feel, as Klein puts it, that I'm here for you, but I also trust that you can do this. And I I think that is the ideal middle ground that uh, this this author was searching for. Um, the, The idea that 
there is there is these extremes. You don't want to just let your kid fend for themselves because then they're going to they're going to grow up either hating you because they're going to feel like you weren't there for them and you didn't care about them or they're going to turn really reckless because they never had anyone to kind of drop the hammer on them if they were doing something bad. So they're kind of going to there's there's these two avenues and obviously there's a million other avenues that the kid can take um, if you're an aloof parent I mean the kid could turn out perfectly fine it's but by and large by doing those it, it kind of that's the that's what you're putting that's what you're portraying about yourself to the kid when you're being aloof and the same goes for if you're being a helicopter parent like you're basically showing the kid that you're gonna do whatever they need to do so they're going to kind of regress more into their shell like I, I know a friend of mine who's like that uh, not them personally but um, their their brother and it's it's very similar where like the mom basically did everything for the kid for this person's brother and it was and now the now that this now that the brother is 18 years old he just is so behind the eight ball and he's got no motivation to do anything because it was basically handed to him his entire life so like that's that's this there's this happy medium that i'm there for you but i trust that you can do this and that's a good that's also a good way to look at it it's not the because there's a lot of like, oh, I'm here for you, but I'm not going to hold your hand. It's like, no, you don't want to look at it like that. It's you want to you want to instill the confidence in them. You trust them. You want to teach them at an early age that trust, like what trust is, and that in itself is going to be a confidence booster. You telling your kid at like nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old that you trust them to make the right decision, it does two things for them. Like psychologically, it shows or it tells them that you trust them that you're you're confident that they'll make the right decision which puts them in a position where they're not going to do they're most likely not going to do anything stupid they're not going to do a lot of they're not going to make a lot of dumb decisions because they're going to be thinking in their head like i've got this trust from my parents to be able to do these things and if i do this dumb thing i'm going to lose that trust and then i'm going to lose privileges and, and it's a downhill like slippery slope from there um like so I think that's a good way to think about it and a good way to talk about it is the I'm here for you, but I trust that you can do this. Not I'm here for you, but I'm not going to hold your hand. Because like when you say that, you're basically telling the kid that like you're there for him, but you're really not because they don't understand what that means. They don't understand like, oh, well, you're here for me, but you're not going to hold my hand like you're not going to help me. And they're going to look at it from that lens. They're not going to look at it pragmatically and be like, oh, well, they're saying, what they're saying is they're, they're here for me, but they're not going to coddle me. They're not going to bait me. They're not going to think that way. They're going to think, oh, well, you're saying that you're not going to hold my hand. You're not going to help me. So why, like, you're lying to me and saying that you're here for me if you're not going to help me. So I, hopefully I kind of explained that a little bit better. But um, I think we'll stop right there. Basically what I wanted to say was I... I like this. Um, I like this study. I, or, I like this article. It goes more in depth um, with a lot of studies about how to parent kids and and uh, how to how to help them out. I didn't want to go over it in like excessive detail. I just wanted to bring it up. I thought it was a really good article. And the other reason that I wanted to bring it up is um, it's very 
it's not often that um, an article from Slate catches my attention and also keeps my attention all the way through because I don't really like their style of writing. And there were a couple of times in this article too where I'm like, ugh, that's kind of cringy or a little too casual of writing. I like a little more formal in my writing. That's I think that's why I gravitate so much to Wall Street Journal articles and uh, in the Reason articles because they're very structured. They're very like there's a very distinct like discipline and structure to how they uh, write their articles and that's just something that's not there with Slate. Um, not to mention they they spout a lot of political opinions and and opinion or uh, op-ed pieces that I'm I'm not a fan of. But that's just me. Um, so. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. I would love to hear your guys' feedback, especially on this one. Um, I want to, I'm still learning. <laughs> We're on episode 25, and I still don't really know the avenue that I want to take this this uh, podcast. I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to market this. Like we, I don't have a large audience at the moment because I'm trying to really figure out how this works, not to mention how it works, but also how it's going to work, uh, how time consuming it's going to be. Um, it's just, it's, it's difficult. Um, I never thought that it would be, that it would turn into what it's turned into for me, for me right now, because there's not a lot of liter- listeners, this is for me to just feel like I have an avenue to kind of express myself in different ways and like the name implies for to shape ideas and how I feel about situations and how I feel about what's going on in the world or, or, or it could be just like how I shape my opinion or shape my ideas around specific sports or, or whatever. It could be literally anything. That's, that's why I kept it so open-ended, but, um, but yeah, uh, again, thank you all so much for listening. Um, please reach out to me on social media at shaped ideas podcast on Facebook and Instagram and shaped ideas on twitter Uh, i love your guys's feedback so please uh, reach out if you want twitter is going to be the best place to find me um that's mainly where i'm going to be posting it's where i'm going to be i do a lot of retweeting and i retweeted the cnn article um if anyone wants to read it it will be on my instagram uh you can go and, and take a look at it there you can find this podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts are being hosted nowadays uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Playlist, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, TuneIn Radio app, uh, and a bunch more. It's all over the place, so there's no excuse if you can't find it. <laughs> uh, so once again, thank you all so much for listening. Um, please, please reach out. I love your guys' feedback. I want more of it. I want to start integrating your guys' feedback in with the show. Um, I slowly want to turn this into like a radio show. Kind of like the Shaped Ideas Radio podcast type of thing. Something a little more radio oriented. Maybe get a little more community involvement. And I've got a lot of ideas that I eventually want to push this show into being. But right now it doesn't seem like the right time to do it. So uh, please just reach out. Let me know what you guys are thinking about the, about the podcast and, and, and the topics being talked about. Or maybe how you guys would like or where you guys would like the topics to be pushed. Um, I'm all ears for all that type of stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, Once again, thank you all so much for listening, and I will talk to you all next time.